There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to an all-new Turf Showtime's radio. This is your boy, Josh Webb, coming at you live with, as always, my partner, Mr. Mycin, the Diasaur. Mycin, are you ready to get weird? Always, man. There's something I love my timeline that's all, let's get weird. So I was like, <laughs> get weird. Man, the things that we say on this show sometimes, man. People got to be listening to us like, like what? Happy, happy <laughs> ramming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love some of Joe Marciano's responses to that. Like, it's, it's like that was easily the most professional episode yet. It was, though. You know, you gotta, you just gotta take it to the fact that it ended on a happy ramming. <laughs> Can you end the show any better than that? How, how else would you end it? But, uh, you know, uh, Joe, we may be coming at you as as a possible, uh, 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 well, I don't know what you want to say guest. Because I don't know if you can consider what we do on this show to be worthy of the term guest. Uh, more like sucker. Let's say, let's say special guest. Sucker. Mycin uh, uh, <laughs> and I have actually been kicking around an idea. Um, it's Mycin's idea. So really what he did is say, I want to do this, and I looked at it, and I was like, dude, you should talk to Joe, and if he says okay, then I'm in. So that's about how Mycin and I came up with that idea. So I'm going to go ahead and let Mycin tell you what the idea is and what we're going to be doing moving forward. Because it really honestly is something we should have been doing, and all credit goes to Mycin uh, for coming up with it. So, what have we got on deck, Bison? So, here in the near future, um, we're going to 
start bringing on some TST faithful guys who listen to the podcast and guys who like to go through and read everything that we post and always commenting things like that. We're going to start bringing guys on to talk Rams football, just have a discussion. You know, it's not going to be so much of like an interview or anything like that. Just give a voice to the people, you know, and let everyone talk and let's just have a good conversation and some good healthy debates because you know they're coming. <laughs> Do not bring up Jared Goff to Josh. That's a warning to everyone else. <laughs> But it'll be fun. I think I think we'll all enjoy it. Uh, just have some great conversations and some back and forth and see where everybody's head is at. I encourage fans to bring up golf to me. You know, <laughs> let's talk about, you know, it's it's like you said off air. There are a lot of positive things to look forward to. And you said on the last podcast that you feel uh Jared Goff will be one of the most improved people on this team. Um, the early reports out of OTAs uh, regarding some of the newer members on the team can't help but make uh, some Rams fans who had previously been maybe a bit trepidatious feel optimistic. Um and uh, I'll be, we all we all knew Cooper Cup was a great route runner. The question was going to be, will that stuff work on NFL defensive backs? How will he look? And uh, to, 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 do you do you want to say how you said it off air? That that, that he that, was making people look silly. <laughs> For lack of a better yep, yep. term, Cooper Cup yeah. is making people look silly with his route running because that's what good route running can do. You know, a great route runner will will often find himself so wide open because he ran his route to a T and the defender misread the route. And because of that, they just find themselves with acres of space. And it's just like, whoa, I can do pretty much whatever I want. I can house this. I can, you know, run it upfield for a 40, 50 yard gain. You know, you can, if need be, just pick up the first down and clock it or, or what? You know, having guys like that opens up so many doors. And Cooper Cup in the early going is showing that, uh, well, the Rams likely drafted him because of that route running. And because when he went up against top competition, it didn't really seem to affect his stats. So this is a guy that you can assume, um, and he had a healthy sampling of games. Like what was it like seven or eight games he had against top top level competition, Myson? Yeah. Like an average you know, he, of about an average of about two, one two for two for every year that he was there. Was there? Yeah, he he had some really good games against you know some better competition. I know everyone likes to point out the Oregon game because you know I think he had over two hundred yards in that game. Um, I think two touchdowns. So. Yeah, he definitely had some uh, really good games. <clears throat> Me, I am, I'm more impressed by some of the games that he had against the lesser competition. 
um, just because of the uh, the consistency. Want to give a couple of examples did. since I know that Joe Marciano's already writing that text. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I'll explain why I say that. Um, it's more so got to do with the consistency. It's really hard. I don't think people take into account how hard it is to perform well against teams that you play often. You know, that's why division games are the hardest games because you know your opponent so well. Um, so when you when you have him going up against these teams that's in, that he plays every year, you know the. The better teams, you know, like the game against Oregon, he doesn't play that or he didn't play that Oregon all four years, you know. Um, so it's, it's a little different. You know, you can you can surprise a team when you don't play them as often. Um, and besides, Oregon's defense sucks. <laughs> but besides that, um, it's, it's really impressive when you can have consistent performances against divisions. For example, let's use the Rams, for example, uh, Marshawn Lynch had some of his worst games against the Rams. But nobody's going to go up here and say Marshawn Lynch isn't a good running back, but the Rams have uh, routinely would hold him to 2.8 yards a carry, 3.1 yards a carry. Like, he really could not really get off against the Rams, and that's not in any way whatsoever a knock on Marshawn Lynch. Anybody that knows Marshawn Lynch know that isn't. That's more so just you're playing in your division. It's always harder to do things when you know when the opponent knows you. And so it's more impressive to me that the consistency that he had, that's the part that I, I like about Cooper Cup is the consistency no matter what. You know, it didn't matter if he moved, if he was playing up a level in competition. It didn't matter if it was somebody that watched him play over and over for four years straight, scouted them, scouted them over and over, and, but they could, still couldn't stop him. So that's the impressive part about Cooper Cup's game to me. So what I – want to ask you before we get to Vinny because um, you've got about six minutes the Rams brought in a guy like Robert Woods because of his ability to run precision routes run good routes um, now you got Cooper Cup who can do that same thing so this in effect gives you a guy on either side capable of creating separation by doing something as simple as adhering to fundamentals. And then that opens up space for Tavon Austin and I guess you could say Tyler Higby, you've got Everett, uh, who else am I missing? Josh Reynolds. I, I would guess Josh Reynolds would be your, your, most, your other guy. Likely. The most important one would be Todd Gurley. Yeah. It well, loosens up things for Todd Gurley. I still have question marks. I, I still have questions. <laughs> yes. About Todd Gurley's ability oh, yes. to, I guess adapt to what's going to happen. I think Todd Gurley was drafted for the old system and the old system and the new system are just at opposite ends of the spectrum. And it, it the crappy thing is is that somebody like Todd Gurley, if it doesn't work out for him in and let's say you know, even halfway through 
later this year, he ends up getting replaced as the primary back by somebody else because the numbers just aren't there. Worst case scenario, right? And yeah. then the, the Rams go ahead and next year they take somebody who is a better complement to what they do with four and five receiver sets. Uh, and that person goes on to have, you know, moderate to, to, to whatever success. And, and Todd Gurley gets labeled as a bust. And I just think that that's crap. Because you have a system change right now. And I hope that Todd Gurley ends up succeeding in it because this is a young man who when healthy and motivated properly and behind the line that can create space, has already proven that he can be an NFL running back. Um, it just is going to be such a, a, an awkward and difficult transition from Fisher's offense to McVeigh's for a guy that's used to running the way Fisher runs, I, I mean, that's what he's been. That, that's the fabric of his being. Yeah. And I, I just, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like it'll be an unfair label that gets heaped on Todd Gurley. I mean, even Todd Gurley has said he doesn't know how he's going to fit. He, Those was his words, you know, when Sean McVay was hired uh, before anyone else's, you know. So he realizes that it's different. It's a different scheme, and, you know, it's going to be a, uh, a, a, an adjustment for himself, you know. So I don't think that that's a surprise in any way. Um, it's, it's expected, you know. He knows what he, he knows what he's really good at. He knows what he's what he thrives at, and he has an idea, you know, had an idea in the beginning. He knows now, but he had an idea in the beginning what, what Sean McVay brings to the table and what type of offense Sean McVay runs. And, you know, obviously the question comes to his mind is, you know, well, how do I fit into this? <laughs> you know, and I think that's what kind of keyed all that. And he, he wasn't he wasn't shy about saying that to the cameras. He, he was willing to say it like, you know, I'm not sure how I fit into this, but we'll see. You know, he it wasn't a... I'm not sure how fitting this. I want to leave, but you know, he was. We'll, we'll see. And I think that the, he handled it the right way. I, you could definitely see there was some concern. But if there's one thing about Sean McVay is Sean McVay really understands offense. So you know, you would think that he'll uh, he'll make it work somehow. He'll figure out a way to make it work. And what he's doing with Jared Goff has to give a glimmer of hope that he'll do the same with Todd Gurley, and that's make the Put install install a, a, a system for golf where golf can be golf. You know, you're not forcing golf to adapt to you in any way. You're actually adapting your system to him. And you you would think that he's going to have packages where it's adapted specifically for Gurley, where you know you're going to see some some straight up eye formation, run it down your throat, just dog. <laughs> you know, like. That's the get north and south. You know, that's what that's what you have to expect. He has to have in a system somewhere. So 
it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. You know, how how do you mix and match it? How do you find that balance between those two things? You know, the the, the going back and forth. Obviously, the the, the primary um, style of offense will be tailored to golf. But I guess that's the trick and that's the tough part when you have a quarterback and a running back who are built for two different types of offenses. If trying it's to certainly figure out a way good to thing it. he's a, uh, uh, considered to be a keen offensive mind, right? Maybe. Yeah, you know, and that's 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 what you do. You know, you got to figure out a way to make it work. And, you know, if uh, if you're going to do it, then you want a guy like McVay who who has that reputation of having that, you know, good understanding of offense and. Uh, different varieties of making things work. So we'll we'll see how it plays out. But obviously it'll be tailored to golf more than more than girly. All right. Well um with that I think that's a perfect place to bring on Vinny and we'll talk about unfortunately the stadium that has been delayed. Twenty nineteen is no longer the date. It is now twenty twenty. We'll find out what's going on with that. And we are pleased now to be joined by Vinny himself uh, from the Daily News, uh, LA Daily News. It's important. I mean, you would think that would be obvious if we're talking about the Rams. Uh, Mr. Vinny Bonsignor. Vinny, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing I'm doing good, guys. And just so you know, to clarify, in the ever-changing world of newspapers, and we're actually the Southern California News Group now because uh, we have, you know, we bought out like a slew of the suburban papers here in the Los Angeles, Southern California area. So now we've also added the Orange County Register, which is why some people see my byline with the Orange County Register. So Southern California News Group, but call me whatever the heck you want. I'm good with it. All right. Well, <laughs> hey, learn new, something new every day. I mean... Yeah. You are right about that, though. It is an ever-changing landscape. I feel like, uh, you know what, though? Southern California News Group is a fine name. You know what it is? It is not Trunk. It's just, That's it's not true. Trunk. That's true. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Definitely. Right. So, uh, what I think would be a keen place to start uh would be the stadium delay. So it's been announced now that the stadium has been pushed back to 2020 from its original date of 2019. Um, yes. Outside of what most people have read, you know, what what can you tell us about this situation? What do they just estimate wrong? I mean, I mean, what's what's what ended up happening? Well, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm reading some conspiracy theories and, you know, sometimes situations are what they are. And uh, and this is actually it really happened. It really rained too much in Southern California um, and they didn't account for that much rain that early in the process. You have to understand they had to dig a 90 foot hole uh, into the earth to be able to put this stadium uh, far enough into the ground so that the top of it wouldn't affect the radars of planes that were passing by into LAX or flying out of LAX. That was a legitimate concern. So they had to make concessions to be able to deal with that FAA issue. One of the, the way they had to do it was to dig further than they expected into the ground. So when you do that, you're making this big, huge hole. And lo and behold, from November of last year to February of this year, it rained and it rained a lot. 
It rained pretty much every day, it seemed, for a long time. That never happens in California. And I have to share this with you. In the original timeline uh, that they created, that the developers created for what was already an ambitious um, timeline to open in 2019, they accounted for 30 rain delays, 30 days of rain. They set aside in the original timeline 30 days to deal with rain. If you live in Southern California, and I don't, you know, uh, if you guys have spent time or if you're if you guys are here and and somebody would have told you, yeah, they're putting aside 30 days over the next three years for rain. You would have laughed and said and taken the under in that every day of the week, because I can't remember losing 30 days to Bakersfield and we got hit okay. and we got like I grew up in Southern California and then I moved to, right. to Bakersfield to get my degrees and I got married and, and I've lived here. But. Even in Bakersfield, there was a substantial amount of rain. Like, I would have laughed, to your question, I would have laughed and said, I'd be surprised if we even get 10. Exactly. No, 30 days was over, well over and beyond. And that's the irony of the whole thing. It's because they actually wrote enough days of rain delays, you know, given how Southern California typically is with rain and weather issues. Um, but lo and behold, over the first, from no, from February to November, uh, the beginning of that process, which was, uh, you know, cleaning it out and then digging that hole, they actually lost 60 days um, to rain, which is an incredible amount when you really think about it. So, and that did happen. We all saw the rain. We all lived through the rain. Uh, it rarely happens, but it did. And as a result, it set back uh, the timeline and, and could they have made up the time? There's a lot of speculation, you know, or some at least to in, in some stories that I've read. Hey, why didn't they just try to make it up? They could have. But as we're seeing in Atlanta right now, which, by the way, has been delayed three times. The, the or there's been three delays in, in, in the Atlanta in Atlanta's new stadiums uh, timeline to the point now where. They are the official opening for the Atlanta Stadium is going to be in late August when they play their second preseason game of the year, or actually, my, yes, uh, August I should say. Um, and that's going to be the official start date of that stadium. It was originally supposed to be in March, so they've lost time for whatever issues have come have come up there in Atlanta. It happens. It's construction. It's a big, huge, massive development that they're building. So, and they they Mother Nature just said, you know what? Uh, great that you're planning for 2019, but uh, I've got other plans. And uh, she dropped a whole bunch of rain on them, and as a result, they had to delay it. And it, it really is, that is what happened. It's nothing more sinister or conspiracy than that. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it would be the, the, the type of thing that you would burn a conspiracy on. You know, why would you lie about like, it? Right, 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 right. Like, when, when you have a conspiracy, when you have a cover-up, like, I was watching Enemy of the State the other day. Massively, right. massively inaccurate film as far as the science goes, even back then. I mean, it was a load of crap. Right. But the point being right. is that the, the, this whole thing happened because they tried to get a, a, a congressional leader to throw his weight behind a bill that would essentially allow the NSA to spy. And then they killed him because he wouldn't do it. That is the type of thing you burn a conspiracy on. You don't right. do it for, for a stadium for no reason. Right. 
you know, I know that there, you know, there was a there was a story on uh, CBS.com today about, you know, the NFL is upset. I haven't heard anything. And I talk to people in the NFL, obviously, it's part of my job. And there's no I don't hear I don't the, the people that I talk to are perfectly fine with it. The other part of it is, you know, um, you know, because there are, you know, sh- should somebody be held accountable? Should somebody be responsible? You know what? I would be upset, what? perhaps, if Los Angeles was on the hook for a lot of money on this pro- project. Had Stan Kroenke and the Rams came to Los Angeles and said, hey, throw in $600 million. We got the rest of it. You know, let's do this. And we will, we promise that it will open by 2019. It were part of like an if Olympic that, bid or something that, that tied yeah, the, if, this to right. completion to a certain date. Right. But the reality is, this is a privately funded project, so it's really the, de- the developer's uh, decision. It's their timeline. Uh, we're not in Los Angeles. It's not costing us a dime. Yeah, it's a little bit frustrating that we all have to go to the Coliseum for one more year or, in the Chargers' case, uh, StubHub Center. But that, if, if that's the worst thing that's going to happen, it's not that big of a deal. And I, I'm not trying to minimize anything. You know, uh, uh, this is going to this is a setback. It's going to cost Stan Kroenke and the Rams and Dean Spanos and the Chargers money because there there's there's revenue streams that they were counting on tapping into in 2019. And keep in mind that uh, regardless of this timeline change, they have to start repaying the relocation fee in 2019. They were hoping to tie that in with the new stadium opening so that there was more money on hand to be able to to pay this off. That's not going to be the case. So they're going to take a hit. But you know what? It's not my hit. It's not anybody, any taxpayer in Southern California's hit. Um, it's so for so for residents, it's really not that big of a deal. It's a little bit more. It's a little frustrating, but not that big a deal in the whole scheme of life. And I completely agree with you. I keep having to remind people that say what you will about Stan Kroenke, and there are a lot of things you can say if you're an Arsenal fan, if you're a Rams fan. Look, look, look. You can say so many positive or negative things, but Stan Kroenke is paying for the entire stadium. Like, L.A. fans need to at least at the bare minimum grasp that. Like, that alone is such a boon. Right, and I think L.A. fans actually do. That's why I think this has sort of made more headlines or is a bigger deal elsewhere than it is here i think everyone understands like okay so it's 2019 it's 2020 all right is that all right great you know keep in mind we went 21 years without football here i think you know the ram fans that you talk to that that are here you know they're way more concerned with okay great a is the team getting better b of course the uniforms i can't believe uh, the the outcry on uniforms. I mean, I, I guess when I was growing up, I was a uniform guy. I like to look at different uniforms, and these were my favorites. But man, I am shocked and surprised by how much I've had to deal with uniform talk. So uh, that's uh, that's been uh, an eye opener here. But aside from that, I think the average LA fan is they're cool with it as well. Not that big my, of a deal. My final question on the stadium thing, and I'll kick it over to Mike after this, is I just got to ask, because they generally yes. amuse me, but what's been, and 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 don't don't necessarily say it if it would out a person, what's been the, your, your number one, maybe this would be a better way to phrase it, what's been your top conspiracy theme? Like, the theme that you've seen, the one that made you're like, oh, this is gold. 
for the stadium? Yeah, yeah, for the stadium. Your top conspiracy theme that you've seen for why it's not getting done. I the, the lingering um, FAA issue uh, that they don't have the clearance and the permits and and all of that, which they do. They have a full clearance. Everything is on the go on that on that end. Uh, but 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 that that you know that is what's holding it back. And I go further back. You know, to this whole process when, you know, there was a competition going on between Carson's project with the Chargers and Raiders and the Rams uh, in Inglewood. And, of course, you had both sides, you know, uh, probably a little bit more from one side to the other. I'll put it that way. They were trying to poke holes and things. They were trying for the, they were they were trying to get to Los Angeles. They both had the same objective. So it was a competition. And did it get ugly? Yeah, it got a little ugly uh, behind the scenes. Um, and the FAA was became a, you know a, a focal point for people who didn't want to see Inglewood and didn't want and did want to see Carson, uh, but it got it was the whole FAA thing was this it was going to be it was essentially always going to come down to all right someone's going to have to write a check it's going to be uh, 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 Stan Kroenke how much is it going to be once it gets fixed and figured out uh, that's what was going to end up happening that's exactly what happened they figured it out it's going to cost them a little bit more money. Uh, so be it. But they but they're free free and clear of that issue. Um, but that's that's the biggest conspiracy that I that I've that I've heard. My sin? Did yeah, I no. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no uh, yeah, I was uh, I was actually wondering about that. The conspiracy theories because they always they always rear their head up whenever something happens or something doesn't go as play oh this is what happened you know it's, right. it's always coming out of nowhere but I, that's actually funny that one the i hadn't heard that one about the basically not having their permits and stuff that was the first one I, the first time i heard that but i i also understand like the the brain delays how that can affect because as you said, if you've ever been to Southern California, <laughs> it doesn't rain that often. So that makes that all rain, makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> that all makes perfect sense. You know, you just don't see that coming. But with OTAs and everything getting started now, you know, let's talk a little football. Um, it's that week OTAs has begun, and there's been a lot of talk about Jared Goff and just his leadership and um, how he's really around the facility a lot and. The players are kind of taking notice of that. And, you know, they've all mentioned how out on the field you can really see him kind of taking on that leadership role and really stepping up to the plate. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've seen from Jared Goff so far um, these first couple yeah. of days with the team being back together. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and that should be the case. I mean, this is now his second year. And, you know, uh, here in Los Angeles, obviously, we have a lot of pro sports teams and and you look at guys like D'Angelo Russell with Lakers and you know his growth from year one to year two and, and he, really if you look at D'Angelo's numbers they're they're pretty on par for a young point guard if you look historically through point guards yet you have fans that are trying to call him a bust after year two at 20 years old which is mind-boggling to me and the same for Jared Goff he's played all of seven games on a very bad football team I might add uh, with a coaching staff that was suspect and wasn't built to help him uh, but that's all behind him. You would think, you would hope anyway, that you're going to see some progress in his in his second year. And even at this point, does he seem a little bit more confident and a little bit more assertive? There's no question about that. I mean, he's now a veteran, a one-year veteran, but a veteran nonetheless. This year, at this point, last year, 
he was a rookie. You know, he was carrying bags and bringing donuts to the team and getting ridiculed for not knowing which coast the sun, you know, uh, what, what side <laughs> of the earth the, the, the sun went. Where down. does the sun rise uh, and where does it was. set? <laughs> yeah. So, so you're talking about the difference between a guy that's was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, didn't really know uh, much about the NFL game and the NFL culture and trying to fit in. So now he's been here a year. He's the starting quarterback, the unquestioned starting quarterback. So you can see body, you know, demeanor and the way somebody carries themselves. Is that gonna is that gonna translate onto the field? Well, we're gonna find that out, you know, come training camp and then preseason and 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 when the actual game starts. So I'm not gonna read so much into seeing how he's carrying himself, which is different. There's no doubt about that. That that all of a sudden he's turned the corner and he's going to be an all-pro quarterback. He can't go that far. But yeah, you 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 do see him talking a little bit more assertively, even just with the media, uh, and and carrying himself a little bit differently, a little bit you know taller, a little bit more confident. Um, and he was around the building quite a bit. He was there during rookie minicamp, and I thought what he you know his answer to that was 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 I thought. Um, pretty astute for him. Hey, I want to see these new wide receivers, these guys that are going to help me hopefully uh, become a better player. Um, and this offseason really has been about trying to to get him up to speed as quick or just, you know, improve the infrastructure around him from from players on the perimeter to the offensive line to the coaching staff. It was all whether the Rams want to admit it or not, it was all designed to help their rookie quarterback who they've invested so much in reach his potential. Um, but I, yes, to answer your question, I think he does, he does act a little bit differently, a little bit more confident right now. We'll see how that translates to the field though. Yeah. You know, I, I really, I'm glad you mentioned that the, you know, the media and him talking to the media, um, and you know, those things, those are all expected, you know, when you, you know, where you stand, <laughs> whereas last year you're a rookie and you know, uh, you got Case Keenum, who the coach has publicly said is going to be ahead of you. So, you you know, you're really trying to figure out your way. So it makes sense that now he's more confident in things. But something he said to the media that really stood out to me, and I really wanted to get your uh, get your thoughts on this, is when asked about the offense, you know, and Sean McVay had already been on record, and a couple of the players as well, is to say that, you know, he's how fast he's picking it up. But when, when asked about it directly, you know, he – mentioned that he's picking it up really quickly and I don't think without I don't think he tried to do this but he did do it you know um sort of kind of threw Jeff Fisher and his staff under the bus which if you know anything about Jeff Fisher and his staff it makes sense they're defensive minded you know they're not built for developing quarterbacks but he said you know it was just he, he was like I'm not sure if it's the way that it's taught or what but he's picking it up a little bit better like what did what what did you get from that? Because that really stood out to me, you know, that he was so open about it. And he just kind of threw that out there. And I, I think personally, I took a lot of different things about away from it, uh, from both sides, from the previous regime, this regime, as well as just from Jared Goff. Yeah, that was I mean, I, I, I asked him that question and that was, his, you know, the, that was the response that he that he gave. And tr- trust me, as soon as he said it. You know, it's like ding, 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 ding uh, in, in my head that just, you know, there was all kinds of that just raised all sorts of not issues. But, you know, um, I think we all uh, could agree um, watching last year, whether they were on the field or even just the interactions and practice and everything from the whole nine yards um, that there was. And, 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 and 
especially when you see the staff now, there's a heavy, heavy, heavy premium on teaching communication um, from the offensive standpoint uh, to the offense, from the, the coaches that they've added, from Sean McVay uh, to old coach Olson, the, the, you know, the quarterback coach to the new, to the new uh, offensive coordinator, even running down to the offensive line coach. Every one of these guys has a history from your O-line coach now to the offensive coordinator of being an offensive coordinator and teaching and developing quarterbacks. So there's all sorts of sets of eyes and voices now and proven teachers where that wasn't the case last year. Um, you had Rob Boris, who had no experience working with quarterbacks, direct experience working with quarterbacks or designing an offense and calling an offense. He was a tight ends coach, uh, you know, previous to becoming the offensive coordinator. You had Chris Wenke, who had minimal, minimal, minimal experience under his belt as the quarterback coach. And I look back on Jeff Fisher's decisions to do that. And I just have to shake my head because I think it was a critical uh, error. And I think it ended up costing him his job. You know, you knew going into last year, especially what his thing was, Hey, we're one quarterback, we're a quarterback away, which obviously they weren't a quarterback away, but in his mind, they were a quarterback uh, away. So let's just say that they weren't just let's, 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 you know, uh, let's let's go down that road. All right, so you're a quarterback away, yet you're not going to surround this one player that you are away with everything that he needs to, to be successful. You you just paid it lip service, and I just can't understand why he did that. To me, it cost him his job, but that's behind uh, the Rams, and now looking forward, you have a coach in Sean McVay who understands the importance of the quarterback position and what you need to put around him from players to coaches to get him to, to reach his ceiling. Now we don't know what Jared Goff's ceiling is, but I have a lot more confidence now that whatever that ceiling is under this staff, I think they're, they're, they're much more equipped to get him to whatever that ceiling is than the previous staff. And at least from that perspective, that's a positive for, for the Rams and for their fans. I think they're going to at least have to feel good about this staff's ability to get whatever Jared Goff has and get it, get it out of them. And then, you know, you notice that. And he basically said it. Look, I don't know if it's the scheme, the terminology, or the way it's taught, but we're getting it a lot quicker. And I'll take it a step further. I was talking to Nelson Spruce. Oh, he's just a, you know, a kid from you know, basically out of college, he didn't get a really chance to play last year, but he's been around coaching from at all levels now. And, and he said, I've never met anybody like Sean McVay in terms of a coach who's able to communicate it and teach it and talk it. He goes, you just feel it. It's just a different way that it's being taught. And he was going, he was running the, from whatever coaches he'd had in high school to college to last year and saying that 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 McVay is, is is different in that regard. And I think that fans are going to see that as as this season goes on and as the future seasons go on. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to win any more games as a result of Sean McVay, um, but I think they're in much better hands. And I think that I think eventually that's going to show. I will say that I personally, you know, I've, I've said a couple of times I love what the Rams are doing as far as building around golf that is what their focus is you know and I, I personally feel like this is the best coaching staff I've seen the Rams have uh, put together as far as just being innovative energy um, success past success all of that stuff 
on both sides of the ball. And of course they kept uh, bones, which is one of the best special teams coordinator in the league. You know, it's just in all three phases. We really look at this staff. It's, it's, and it has a good range of diversity. You know, you got really young coaches, you got older coaches that's been around block a couple of times and those know a lot of things. So this is, in my opinion, one of the best staffs I've seen them put together in a very since they were since they were really good. <laughs> you know, in the last fifteen years, this yeah, is one of the best staffs they put together. Yeah, and it's and it and and there's there's a positivity to it and a teaching element to it. And you know, uh, there was somebody that 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 uh, inside the Rams, I, uh, I'll put it that way, um, commented that, and they don't do it like in a demeaning way. They're not tearing you down, and and it. it I raised an eyebrow when I heard that considering who it came from and I was, it, it made you wonder, okay, you know, was that not the case under the previous regime? And if it wasn't, if, if they were a brow beating type of a type of a staff, which you kind of got a sense of that listening to just on the field, you could hear, you know, some of the coaches, the way they, the way they were um, uh, coaching quote unquote players and, and the manner in which they went about that. I'm not so sure that that's the best way to go about coaching, especially a young team. You know, I you could crush young guys. I mean, that's just the way people, you know, they're pro athletes. Get over it. Blah, blah, blah. You're making money. Get over it. Well, you know what? They're human beings as well. And when you're not equipped as a young player to be able to deal with that kind of coaching, it could affect you. I'm not saying it did, but it could. And you don't get the sense that this staff is about that. You get the you get the sense that this staff is much more just about teaching and positivity. And I think that that's an important thing, especially with today's athlete and especially with today's younger athlete. And this team still is, even with the veteran additions that they made in the Andrew Whitworths and the Robert Woods. Uh, this team is still one of the youngest teams, if not the youngest team in the NFL. I thought, for my money, when the Rams and in. I'll get to one of my questions for you in just a second because I want to get your opinion on it. But I want to say, stay in line with the thought you guys have had, thoughts you guys have had about the staff. What spoke to me the most about McVay was when he got hired, the first thing he did was put together a staff that, I mean, you go out and your first move is to get Wade Phillips. What that tells me is you know what you don't know. And you went out and you got the guy who is the best in the business, and you're going to let him handle that. Now, here sort of comes my question, because there were pretty hefty rumors that the next move was going to be Anthony Lynn as OC, but immediately after the Chargers hired McVay, and, and, or excuse me, the Rams hired McVay, and the last team left uh, that needed to make a, a head coaching decision, because everybody knew what the Niners were going to do. The, the writing had been on the wall for the Niners for the longest time. It was Shanahan at the end of the season, and that was going to be that. The Chargers didn't really have a chance in those sweepstakes. But I thought it was odd that basically right after the Rams announced the hiring of McVay, then, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't have gotten the job anyway, 
But I feel like the Rams hiring McVay and getting Phillips right away maybe lend credence to the possibility that the report that McVay's goal was to hire uh, Phillips and then Lynn to help lead the Rams, maybe that led to the decision for the Chargers to pull the trigger when they did. Is there, I'm at, that's my conspiracy theory. Is it an awful one? You know, it's it's not an awful one, but it would have been predicated on. I, I always felt Lynn was going to get a head coaching job uh, in this cycle, so I think that had had somehow, some way, he fallen through the cracks or just you know nobody pulled the trigger on 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 Lynn. Then yeah, I think there's a there's a chance that 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 could have happened. But I thought, but I always felt he was going to get a job, and I think that the Rams felt that uh, as well. I mean, it would have it would have had to have. That's that's what what would have had to have happened, and I it was almost a long shot that Lynn wasn't going to get a head coaching job. So, um, you know, it, it would have been great had that been the case for the Rams, and and that was the original plan. Um, but uh, it seemed like a long shot, you know, going into this process. He, Coach Anthony Lynn, was a pretty hot prospect going into this. Yeah, yeah, I. I, I it, it always seemed like a matter of when, not if for Lynn, but by that time, so much had passed, and with the, basically the Chargers and Niners being the last chess plate uh, pieces on the board, we knew where the Niners were headed. So if the Chargers didn't make that decision, then Anthony Lynn would have gone through the cycle with without having uh, appointed a head coach. I, I just didn't think honestly he was going to make it out of it either way I, which is why I wonder if it didn't that's why I say it hastened not so much made the decision for San Diego but hastened their decision as in let's get this guy locked up before he gets even sold on the idea of just staying OC for another year and maybe waiting for some better options if that makes sense no, yeah, there's no doubt that that could have that could have you know worked could have gotten back to the Chargers um, that uh, that that was the case. But I one other uh, uh, little bit of information on that. I know that uh, that that Anthony Lynn blew the Chargers away in his first interview, and I don't think that I think they were I think their mind was pretty much made up after that interview that he was that he was going to be the be the guy. And I got to say the same thing about the Rams. Um, you know, I got the 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 day that McVay interviewed with the Rams you know I'd got a text from somebody that was at that interview and it was like this guy's pretty special and I was like wow okay he, he went in there and blew him away and I was not I, to me from that moment on for me anyway McVeigh was the front runner and somebody was going to have to come in and just blow them out of the water to blow him out of the water and that never that didn't happen and they still interviewed a few people after that first uh, McVeigh interview but I just had a feeling from that point on this is his job to lose yeah, and when you look at the way he handled everything who he hired when he came in, this is a guy who, for being a young mind, I, I, I like, you know, being an L.A. guy, I mean, you remember Lane Kiffin, and everybody remembers when Lane Kiffin got hired in Oakland, and Lane Kiffin is sort of the example of what you don't do 
as a young hotshot head coach. And I feel like everything that Lane, not not to try and pile on Lane Kiffin, it's just that like there's parallels for both of these guys. Like everything Lane Kiffin did, Sean McVay did not. And and McVay just had a sense about him, and when he talks, you hear him talk about what he doesn't know. The staff that he has around him, and we brought uh, Jenna Thomas on, who's uh, a writer for SB Nation's NFL, and she talked about, and you hinted at this early on, there's a lot more development, it seems, going on now. And she talked about one of her big pushes was that Matt LaFleur, the, the fabric of what he is as a coach is a teacher. Has that been sort of the general feedback you've received about LaFleur or what you've witnessed with him? Yeah, it is actually. And uh, and I'll go back to the, uh, the, the uh, combine, the scouting combine in Indianapolis. I made it a point to go talk to Deshaun Kaiser uh, about Coach LaFleur. And if people remember... Uh, uh, LaFleur was on the staff at Notre Dame when Kaiser was a, a freshman. He didn't play that year, but he practiced. So, um, and he had, he just raved, raved about LaFleur and his teaching. And, and, you know, basically like I, I, I was kind of upset that he went cause he only, he was there only a, a short time before, uh, he ended up in, in you know, taking the job and I got to remember what these years are Atlanta. It, it was probably, that's when he left for Atlanta. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's a college quarterback that's getting ready to go on the NFL. You take, you know, uh, uh, what he says, not necessarily with a grain of salt, but he doesn't have all the experience in the world, but it's still, it was, it was a positive report just about his communication skills and, and about his teaching skills. And again, it goes back to what Sean McVay to me is all about. And it's not, he's not just talking the talk, uh, he's, he's, he's putting actions into words and, and for him anyway, in talking to, to, to Sean, it goes all the way back, uh, to Bill Walsh, who obviously his grandfather worked with Bill Walsh. He was the architect of the, of the 49er teams that won, uh, all those Super Bowl championships. Um, and, 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 you know, Bill Walsh's philosophy is look, the quarterback position is the hardest position to play, uh, in, in football. It's our job as coaches to make that job as easy as possible to play. You're not going to be able to do that with a magic wand. It doesn't happen. It is the toughest position uh, for a reason. But if you can make that position as easy as possible to play, if we can figure out a way to do that, that's what we're going to do. And so it goes all the way back to that. And that's what, you know, uh, Sean grew up on. And that's what even for, to John Gruden to Jay Gruden, to the coaches that he's worked under and worked with. Mike Shanahan feels the same exact way. They all sort of have that connection to Bill Walsh, and that's what he's hanging his hat on, and that's why you see what he's done, not just with the coaching staff, but with the players that he's brought brought in, that that's the objective. That's the goal, and, and it may work. It may not work, but what I like about it compared to the previous staff is there's common sense behind it. There's a obvious plan. Uh, and I'd rather have a guy fail with a plan than a guy just fa fail because without a plan. It just at least you're giving yourself a shot. And I feel that McVeigh is doing that. And every move that he's made so far, 
uh, is pointed in that direction. Now, obviously, Jared Goff's got to be worthy of the number one pick or something close to it. Um, but at least they're 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 investing in making that happen correctly. I think. Um, before we um, continue, and I'll toss it to Mason. I just want to make sure we're not chewing into your uh, to to your time because you're killing it, man. Um, if you're still down to keep going, uh, we can we can keep going. I just wanted to make sure we weren't uh, chewing into your uh, if you have a time commitment or something. It's all good, you guys. All right, Mason. Uh, have you anything? Yeah, you know, and I'm 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 glad you. You put it the way you did that they're 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 doing it the right way, you know. Um, I, I, the thing that I keep saying is, when you go all in on your quarterback the way that they have with Jared Goff, you know, to, to in order to draft him, they had to go all in, you know. And the only way you really, really develop those guys like that, because it's so rare to get uh, a Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck or Jameis Winston, those guys who who the playbook comes natural, you can throw the entire book at them. They just get it. You know, they're basically young coaches. You know, they get it. Those guys don't exist every day. Um, you have a they lot of really They also played in pro good, offenses in college. Yeah, they all played in pro offenses. But there's a lot of guys who play in pro offenses who don't work out, <laughs> you know, but True. sometimes, no, no, no you, sometimes you have a guy that – sometimes you have a guy that play in a pro offense and – but then also just get get the X's and O's. Like it just makes sense to them, and you know the, the, you don't really get those guys often. The I most mean, like successful every way. I have a quarterback that's played under Coach Saban. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. They all they, <laughs> they all played in pro offenses, but where are they now? You know, so it's really right. hard to find those guys who both have the experience in the pro offense, but then also has the understanding, like the, the, the mental aptitude to just get like, they, they just understand the X's and O's. And, um, right. As I, as I put it is the most successful way, you know, the, the success rate is extremely high to succeed with a young quarterback to really develop him and build him up is to build around him with a good staff, build players around him and put the play build your playbook to fit him as opposed to him fitting your playbook. And I think that the Rams are doing that. And it's it's, it's good news that they're doing it um still early. You know, he is he's a year behind the A ball now because of last year, but they're doing it. And that's the most important part as opposed to waiting way down the line or it's too late or, you know, not fixing the offensive line to the point to where he's just been beaten down. I use David Carr as an example a lot because I think David Carr was that person who understood the X's and O's and had an unbelievable arm, but he would play behind probably the worst offensive line in NFL history. Um, According to the stats, that was the case because he set the record for most sacks. Um, you know, so I think the Rams are doing the right things now. So, you know, we know that they're doing the right things with Jared Goff. But as far as Todd Gurley goes, like, how do you see Todd Gurley fitting with this offense? Because the one thing that I harped on a lot on Todd Gurley uh, last year, and I, I didn't really back down on it. I still don't. Um, that doesn't mean Tiger is not a good back. No, but the truth is the truth. And, you know, one thing I pointed out very, very early into the season last year is Ty Gurley was running with very little vision and patience, you know, and, um, I think with the improve and improvements that they made on the offensive line and, uh, with Andrew Whitworth. And I think John Sullivan, you know, um, 
while his health is a question, you can't you can't take away the smarts that he has. He understands protections. He's going to make a lot of calls for Jared Goff. You know, so I expect this offensive line to be improved. I think the biggest question mark is Greg Robinson. So with an improved offensive line and what I think is going to be an improved golf, you would you would expect the box to loosen up and the more holes to open. Um, but can Ty Gurley get back to that form? Like, what are you what are you thinking? What are you hearing? Like, what are you seeing with with Ty Gurley? Because there it was it's no secret his confidence was shaken. You know, can can Sean McVay not only fix Jared Goff, but can he fix Ty Gurley? Um, you know, I, I think that to me, Todd Gurley didn't forget how to play football last year. Um, I just think that, you know, when you look at how many times he was hit behind the line of scrimmage and what his, um, yardage per carry was in those situations compared to when he actually was able to get to the line of scrimmage before getting hit, which was, it was night and day, uh, the, the, the number, um, he needs to, he needs help. I mean, there's no running back that I don't I don't care who you put behind that in that offense last year, considering when you're talking about the offensive line problems, the fact that you had wide receivers that did not scare anybody down the field. Look, go back. If you really want to think about this, look at Gurley's first year and look at his the 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 production predominantly came in, I think it was four out of his first five games, he exploded onto the scene, okay? But from that point on, he only had one other 100-yard rushing game, and it was in Boris's, ironically enough, his first game as the offensive coordinator. They played up in Detroit. It might have been his second game, but I think it was his first. And they were in Detroit, and he ran for, you know, a buck 40 or so. But after that, from that point on, again, no more 100-yard games. Um, Because defenses figured out, Early in Gurley's rookie season, when he went off on him, that's the guy we got to stop because there ain't nobody else, whether you're talking about the wide receivers or the quarterback, that scares us not even a little bit. We got to stop number 30, and every defense was designed to stop number 30 from that point on, and the numbers bear that out because he's been an average back, below average, really, when you think about it, since then. So... There's a when defenses were 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 playing him straight up and not stacking the line of scrimmage, he had success early in his rookie year. When defenses decided that that's the guy that they're going to stop, they've stopped him. And why? Because the offensive line wasn't equipped to deal with it. The quarterback wasn't wasn't equipped to make defenses pay for using that strategy. And the wide receivers were not equipped to make to to say, okay, you're going to play us like this. We're going to burn you. They didn't have the capability of doing that. Until that changes, um, then Todd Gurley is going to be running into the same type of problems. And I think it I, it should change. I'm looking at the offensive line this week, and I'm just – I could not take my eyes off of Andrew Whitworth, one of the biggest human beings I've ever seen. And he just makes that whole line look different. And, of course, now you have Greg Robinson at right tackle. Is he going to be able to make that transition or, or be a player of even just average ability? Don't know yet, but when you when you look at at least eyeball that offensive line from left to right, you start seeing an actual offensive line. Now Rob Havenstein is at right guard. He looks like a monster at right guard. If this works, then Gurley will have a chance uh, to be good. But I do believe that Andrew Whitworth is gonna is gonna make a huge difference on, in a lot of ways. And if and if he and Sullivan and and 
and and and Rob, you know, can adapt to guard, and uh, and Greg can just be just an average player. Then I think you're going to see uh, Gurley's numbers go up, and I and I do believe the addition of a Robert Woods is going to help. Goff being in his second year is going to help that as well. It goes hand in hand. I know it's cliche, but it does. They have to loosen the defense up. Everyone else has to help loosen the defense up in order for Todd Gurley to have room to run. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Robert Woods. Um, one thing about Robert Woods that I do like, because I wasn't exactly crazy about the uh, the contract <laughs> that they gave him. I thought the I thought I didn't think he was worth the uh, the money. But there's one thing about him that I do like, and he's done it very well since college, and that's the ability to participate in the run game. Uh, he's actually a really good blocker, which I think will help in a lot of ways with the uh, his ability to kind of open up lanes on the second level, uh, getting stopping stopping safeties from crashing down into the box as he picks them off when they start running downhill. That's one more. That's one less guy that you have to worry about um, getting to the running running back. So I think Robert Woods is actually going to be a really good addition for the running game. Not so much because of his ball catching, which again I do think is going to improve. I do think that the pass game will improve enough to open up some running lanes. But I really think that Robert Woods is going to be a very very key addition just with his ability to block. Um, also, though, when I'm talking about the blocking and the receivers, um, we know they're going to run a lot of a lot of twelve personnel. Um, that's probably going to be their base formation, in all honesty, uh, with McVay's love for the uh, tight ends. But in running the twelve personnel, um, my thought process is that it's probably going to cause guys to be in the box more because that would usually bring on more. Uh, base formations from the defense does is it kind of a double-edged sword where it can it can help you but hurt you to run this uh to run this scheme with the the 12 personnel but then also trying to trying to loosen up the lanes for your running back do you see that being as a, a good thing and a bad thing in the same in the same um breath yeah, uh, there's no question that, you know, defenses are going to because because it is 12 personnel and you're defending two tight ends, um, you know, that 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 could bring them up a little. They're, look, at the, the defense is going to to start the season. They're going to do the same exact thing that they did last year until the Rams prove that that's going to be an ill advised strategy. You're going to continue, um, you know, you're going to continue to see that. But um, I think that at least on paper and from what you see in OTAs, I think the Rams you know they're they're a, a, a little bit better positioned, you know, and, and equipped to deal with that. Um, you know, Robert Woods. I, I know there were fans. Number one, going back to the contract, um, if you're a wide receiver and that was a free agent, why would you come to the Rams? I'm just going to ask that question to you guys. Other than money, if they're going to they're going to have to overpay you because because you you have the opportunity to be the go to guy. Yeah, but I there's mean, not, uh, there's not much competition in front of you. There's not much competition in front of you, is what I mean. Yeah, but I don't know many wide receivers, especially veteran wide receivers, unless the money is right, really right, and it was, uh, that are going to come to a, such an uncertain situation with an uncertain quarterback. I mean, they, these wide receivers like to catch balls, and that's predicated on good quarterbacks throwing it to them. So if you're the Rams, you're going to you are going to have to overpay a little bit to get a veteran wide receiver, and so they did. Um, 
but you know it wasn't a it wasn't a ridiculous contract uh it's a manageable contract uh the one thing that i and you know i know fans are like wow he's not a deep threat he's not a he's not a modified number one guy well that you're never going to find you're rarely going to find that caliber of a wide receiver on the free agent market number one and number two man after watching that offense last year i'll take a guy that could just help keep the chains moving how many times did you guys see uh drives you know that got killed because somebody was not didn't run a good route or somebody dropped the ball there's a there's there's value in in move being able to move down the field rather than you know yeah you would love to make it easy and complete a 60 yard touchdown pass but i i would take a you know just being able to put together functional drives efficient drives and you, we never saw that from the rams last year and i think that a guy like robert woods who will be in the right place at the right time and when he is targeted generally speaking catch the dang ball uh, these are things that we saw was few and far between last year. If he could just provide that, and in addition, just like you said, being able to be active and a participate, a willing participant in the run block uh, game, then I think he's gonna he's gonna add value uh, and 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 help a guy like Jared Goff. I could easily see a guy like Robert Woods becoming his favorite wide receiver just because he's gonna be reliable. And reliable was not around last year. So I'll take reliable even ahead right now of the game changing game breaker, which you were never going to get that guy anyway. Oh, I, I definitely agree. You know, if he's in free agency, there's probably a, a not so good reason <laughs> that, that, uh, yeah. that players in free agency. for example, Alshon Jeffrey, he's a game changing receiver, right. but he's free a free agency because he can't stay healthy. Nobody wants to pay him. You know, so if he's in free agency, it's probably not a good good thing. So I definitely agree with you on that. Um, but I have one other question for you uh, in regards to the run game because I think my, my big thing is um, with the offense as far as improvement goes, I have more confidence in the, uh, the pass game improving than the run game. Now, that, again – if the pass game improves, you expect the run game to improve. But I, I always say expect because, you know, there's real no guarantee, you know, that it will. Um, but but it, it is an expectation because the pass game, obviously, if the defense is respecting the pass, it loosens things up. But when you look at the this current running back situation, um, you know Sean McVay, he likes to use uh, the backs – in the past game, he likes to use them um, not just in the past game, but uh, not just as receivers, but also blocking things like that. They went out, they got Lance Dunbar and the backs that they've brought in uh, through undrafted free agency. They've all been kind of scat backs behind Ty Gurley. I think it's kind of a, a clutter. You know, it's really it's really a mess. <laughs> no one really knows what's happening back there. Uh, I personally right. think it's it's about as wide open after Ty Gurley. I'm not even so Lance Dunbar is number is going to be number two. I think it's about as wide open as it possibly could be. Um, what have you heard any sort of rumblings or anything like that um, as far as who's lo who's looking good or some favorites or anything like that in the backfield after Ty Gurley? Well, you know, obviously they they went out and got uh, Dunbar, so they want um, you know they need him. Um, to be able to uh, to be a productive player, third down uh, kind of a player. And by the way, uh, the, the practices that we've that we've seen, um, you're right about the running running backs being involved in the run game in the in the passing game because 
there were there were a handful of times where where Todd Gurley was lined up wide um, uh, so far, and another handful of times where he caught balls out of the backfield. So um, I think that you're going to see that. And you know what? To me, he can catch the ball. He should be an asset in the passing game. He's a good. I've seen him. You know, just off to the side, you know, uh, with the jugs machine, just taking ball after ball after ball. I remember telling Les Snead last year, uh, you know, we're walking out the field during training camp. I go, that guy could probably play tight end if you really just wanted these big enough and tall enough to do it. He's got the hands to be able to be a factor in the in the pass game. So I think you're going to see that. And that's something that Sean McVay likes likes to do. Um, but to answer your question, you know, Dunbar, uh, I know that there's still high hopes. For a guy like Aaron Green, who flashed last year uh, during training camp, and 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 they and they, they like his game, they like his skill set. Malcolm Brown obviously is is still there, so it is a you know uh, a mismatch kind of a kind of a situation, um, and they they all sort of had the same kind of skill set. But uh, I think that they feel like on this roster right now, there's going to be some capable backups to uh, to uh, and and versatile too uh, to, to you know to, to Todd Gurley. Joshua, Joshua, do you? Yeah, I, one of the things that, that that I've been curious about, and you guys that are that already talked about it, was how those two were gonna were gonna get along in the same offense. But in staying in line with uh, with guys who could potentially succeed in this offense or not, we've brought up Greg Robinson's name a couple of times. Nobody has any idea how he's going to do on the right side of the line. They're going to start him out as a right tackle. There are many pools that either have him going from right guard or just not playing at all. Uh, how much of this can 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 you? comment on in as much as what you think will happen i mean based on on otas does it look like he's getting it are coaches uh responsive to him is he responsive to the coaches is there hope i guess is the best question well there's no question that yet there's no question there's there's hope um you know with a with a healthy dose of um guarded uh, you know optimism or maybe even some skepticism from from they didn't pick up his fifth year option that pretty much tells you that you know look you gotta this is it you know this is it you gotta you gotta show us something this year or else uh, it was nice knowing you um the one thing that that I'll, I'll say this about greg robinson and he takes a beating um you know rightfully so his play has not matched the uh spot he was drafted in um, and when he has been on the field, it's been inconsistent. Uh, it's been a detriment um, in a lot of cases. He has a knack for, uh, you know, penalties at the worst possible time. It's almost uncanny. Uh, we'd be sitting up in the press box just wondering when it was going to happen. And it's usually it was usually after a, you know, a 13 yard run uh, to get a key first down. And all of a sudden you're looking at third and 20 rather than a first down because Greg Robinson you know, uh, clipped somebody or held somebody or was downfield, you know, when he wasn't, but whatever the case was, you know, uh, bonehead moves, bonehead plays. Um, so, you know, there's still, there's so much of that left. And, and now can he make the transition to, to right tackle? My thing is, you know, I, I think a lot of 
you get honesty from from Greg. I I believe that he cares. I truly believe that he cares. I don't say that about all players. You know, uh, he does care. He's cognizant of what's going on. Um, he understands what this position, the position that he's put himself uh, into. He wants it. I do believe that he wants it. I do believe he's willing to work at it. But I always felt confidence was a huge, huge issue with him. Uh, and and I think that that was the result you saw, you know, when he got sat a couple of games. It wasn't because he was being a jerk or being a detriment, uh, you know, in the locker room. I think that the team realized that he needs to sit down because his confidence is shot. Um, you move him to right tackle where it's just less pressure. I mean, it's not left tackle. It's not, you're not protecting your quarterback's blind side. You don't have all of that responsibility. You're generally not going to be blocking the other team's best defensive end. You're not, your mistakes aren't going to get your quarterback. You know, they, they could obviously at right tackle. I mean, it's still the NFL and he's still going to be playing against great players, but there's just a little bit less pressure at right tackle. My thing is, okay, is that going to, is he going to be able to settle down a little bit and just play with a little bit more confidence and a little bit more poise at right tackle than he did at left tackle where there's just less pressure? Well, it remains to be seen. Um, but if it works, you know, and then you have Havenstein at right guard and Sullivan at center. Uh, and, and Roger at, at, at left guard and Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, all of a sudden the offensive line doesn't look so bad, you know, and I know that we've all seen how bad they played. So you're saying that and, you know, you know, but remembering what your eyes saw last year. And so you can't buy in altogether. It has to happen. But if it does, then they're in much better shape. And, and you know, for, for Greg, he, he has to do it. This is it. You know, um, this is his last chance, at least with the Rams. Uh, will he respond? I don't know. I mean, that's a great unknown right now. We just don't know. And we're not going to know until they get to training camp or until they get to preseason until, you know, and, and if he lasts that long, then into the season. So, um, but I, I do believe, and I, I, I want to stress this because I know that, you know, he, like I said, he takes a beating and rightfully so. But if you get to know him and listen to him and talk to him, at the very least, he cares. I know that, you know, fans don't want to hear that big deal. He's making a lot of money, you know, uh, but he does care. And at least he has that going for him. And hopefully for him anyway, um, you know, he does settle down and he is a little bit more confident and, and plays that way. Because if he if he, he has all the physical abilities to be able to do it, now let's just see if he can play with poise and confidence and, 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 and get the job done. Fair enough. All right. So a couple last listener questions here before we get out. Chris Hernandez wants to know, uh, are they splitting reps right now? I know. Wait, what the heck? Okay. All right. So this is in a follow-up to Greg Robinson. Are they splitting reps right now? Uh, I know reps and time is limited in this phase. It's more for Vinny, but uh, on, on your topic. Are they splitting reps with across the board or Greg or? I believe it was with Greg Robinson. It appears to be followed up on the same thread as as Greg Robinson. So if it's not about Got Greg it. Robinson, I apologize to Chris. But yeah, if you guys are going to make it. Yeah, yeah. We're make it tell tell us Robinson. who you're talking about in your tweets is the moral of this story. <laughs> Well, if if that's what he's asking, and I and I and I'm thinking he may be asking, is he splitting reps with 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 Rob, who's at who's at right guard now rather than right tackle? No, the question, the answer to that is no. Uh, but I would. What was interesting was that 
uh, Javon Brown was playing um, some right tackle. So he was splitting time with uh, with Greg at, at right tackle. So there's a little uh, change as well. Uh, um, you know, we haven't seen that before. So uh, so maybe that, you know, maybe maybe in the whole if Greg can't get it done, maybe Brown takes over at right tackle and you keep Rob at, 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 at right guard. I'm not saying that that's the case, but it looks like they're at least planning for for that possibility and, and, and at least training uh, Brown at right tackle. All right. Uh, all right. So here comes another question from Chris. He says, who is playing short uh, or strong safety with Moher? Does Forrest look healthy? Is he playing inside? Is Webster looking solid in his first shot at starting? That may have been the uh, are they are they splitting reps right now? Question two. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's. Yeah, um, it, it, you know, you, you guys got to, not you guys, but the fans need to understand it, this is OTAs. It's not a, like a yeah. training camp. So where you're, where you're seeing it day after day after day after day, um, it, there's a lot of mix mashing, uh, mishmashing going on uh, from, you know, the uh, wide receivers and tight ends and the, and the, the, uh, the personnel groupings that they have. You, you'd be surprised who's actually on the field together when you're starting to see a Cooper cup and a Nelson Spruce, uh, you know, on the field together. And, you know, um, so, so even in the defensive backfield, you're going to see a lot of that. So it's hard to really track who's playing with who and who's getting the reps, you know, versus, versus who, uh, but Cody Davis was playing, um, you know, opposite LaMarcus, uh, at safety, um, uh, Randolph, uh, you got, um, you know, so, so it's, 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 it's hard to say, um, you know, who has the inside track, uh, you know, at, at, at that position. I'm sure Mark Barron will probably get some time, you know, back there as, as well. And, and it, you know, it, it's it's so, so, so early in this process. They just got on the field on Monday together. So, um, you know, uh, it's, it's hard to say, like, you know, who's looking really good at cornerback right now or who's getting the most reps. But I, I'm looking, definitely looking forward to seeing that as we move on into – in the training camp because there's going to be some battles uh, uh, back there. And I'm really curious to see how Joyner takes to safety. I think that that's, he's to me, he's the toughest guy on their team. Um, I know he's short uh, in stature, uh, but he packs a punch and he's willing. He loves to hit. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how he takes to safety this year. You know, you bring that up and this is sort of just my, my, one last question for me. I got one or two uh, more listener questions, including one about Spruce. But Mo Alexander's a guy that's been a hot topic for a lot of fans, and I've been getting a lot of questions about him, about how much he could possibly succeed. And I gotta say, I think that this is potentially a really big year for Mo Alexander. I think being a veteran in Wade Phillips' defense, where you already are going to have an aggressive front seven, being a veteran leader there, this is a chance for him to show exactly what he can do. And if they are able to get Trumaine Johnson's deal done at some point, and Trumaine Johnson is playing with a uh, with a clear head, then <clears throat> with, with LaMarcus Joyner, Again, if he has also a successful transition, there are a lot of pieces in place there in that Rams secondary that I think can do tremendous things. But I think it all starts with Maurice Alexander. 
Yeah, he had a um, he had a really good year last year, and uh, just when you're when you were talking about that, I was just remembering last year when you know he was he was competing for that starting job um, and 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 won it. And he's a great story to me, uh, you know how far he's come along. And I remember talking to Greg Robinson, uh, and he was you know his first uh, year with with Maurice, and you know he's like he didn't know anything, <laughs> you know he didn't. It was just like it was a puppy. You know, and to see him um, grow and develop as he has, uh, and play as well as he did last year, and for his sake, hopefully build on on that this year in a in a in a different system, but with a coach who has a is a proven track record. There's no doubt Wade Phillips uh, is going to get every bit of, uh, of of Maurice that there that there is. You know, I it's funny because when I watch him play, you know, I, I said he. he do you ever think this sometimes about football players? You, they play too, they're, they're too physical. Like he, he, he's yes. physical to the point where he takes himself out of games because, you know, uh, obviously we all know about concussions and things like that. I almost wonder if he needs to taper it back just a little bit, just to be able to, cause he comes in ready to just drive Bob, somebody. Bob into Sanders next- was the king of that man. Bob yeah. Sanders ended his career because he knew only one gear and that was a level. And that's, that's Maurice. And, you know, I think it goes back to the fact that he's just been an underdog and he knows that that's, you know, his physicality uh, and his toughness is what, you know, is why he's here. And, but, you know, there's probably a little bit of a fine line, but you just don't want to take that, aggressiveness uh, away from him but there was so many times where i just cringe like man you know you're gonna get yourself hurt and he did you know there were a couple of times where he did but i don't know if you how you how you uh you know how you control that or how you manage that because that's just how he plays and and you know he's he's a big physical football player and he's fun to watch he's one of those guys that you root for 100 percent agree now the going back to Nelson Spruce real quick. I want to get his Eddie in Santa Paula wants to know whatever happened to whatever happened to Nelson Spruce. Nelson Spruce is here. Um, you know he's under contract. Uh, I talked to him on Monday, and he's uh, you know finally feeling one hundred percent. He's closing in on you know that uh, that one hundred percent being able to participate without any kind of restrictions or anything like that. Yeah. I feel bad for Nelson because, you know, I am convinced that had he played last year, he would have made a bit of an impact. I mean, he's a guy that again, right place, right time where he's supposed to be has great hands is tough. Um, He could have been a guy that, that, that could have been a productive, you know, player in his rookie year, but unfortunately for him, and it's never been the case for him in his entire life, football life, he just got hit by the injury bug. I mean, he could not figure out a way to stay healthy last year and it cost him his whole rookie season. So, but you know, I think that it's a mistake for people to just write him off. Like, you know, Oh, well they drafted Cooper cup. That's the end of Nelson Spruce. I wouldn't say that at all. I, I still believe there's high hopes for, for uh, a Nelson Spruce and the Sean McVay offense is a good offense for players like that. I mean, it's about precision, pass route running and consistency and and that's what they do that's what those that guys do cooper cup and nelson spruce and robert woods that's what they're known for and this is the perfect offense for him so there's no way that i would just write off nelson spruce at this point so uh last two here joe wants to know which newcomer i guess is the best way to put this i i 
which newcomer, either free agent acquisition and or draft candidate, do you think is going to have the biggest impact in 2017? Andrew Whitworth. Without I knew you were going to say that. I knew you yeah, were going to say that. Andrew Whitworth. That's right, the smart yeah. answer right there. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and, and it, it, it goes pretty deep with Andrew Whitworth when you think about it. Um, it's not just his on-the-field play, which is a massive, massive, massive upgrade. It's his locker you know, room presence. <laughs> it's his locker room presence. It's the fact that, you know, it, as long as he stays, as long as he's he's playing at the at the level that he played at the last few years, think about this for a second. How many times did, you know, Greg Robinson couldn't be trusted to defend his or to or to block his guy one on one. So what you have to do, you had to bring in tight ends to help the left tackle be able to pass block. What did that do? Well, that meant a tight end couldn't be out in the pass route. You know, he, he wasn't active in the in the pass game because now he has to block. If Andrew Whitworth is playing like Andrew Whitworth is capable of playing now, all of a sudden your tight ends are freed up to actually be a part of the passing game. And I think you're going to see a lot, which obviously fits well with Sean McVay, but you're you're right in the locker room. I mean, the one thing, um, you know, being around this team for a full season last year, there just wasn't that commanding personality. And that takes nothing away from your Alec Ogletrees, who's a hell of a football player and, um, you know, and conscientious and all of those things, but he's just not, you know, that vocal leader. And, and Aaron Donald is just a tough guy from Pittsburgh, but a quiet, tough guy from Pittsburgh. Uh, that just isn't that kind of a leader. But a guy like Andrew Whitworth is. And I think he's a willing leader. And I think he came here um, of continuing that part of his career or that, you know, what he brings to the table here with the Rams. It was talking to him. And, and you know, when he talks about, look, I was in Cincinnati when we when we transitioned from Carson Palmer to Andrew to, to Andy Dalton. I know what that process is all about. And guess what? I'm in Andy Dalton's ear every day of the week. Uh, during that process, I got your back. This is what you got to look for in helping him. And who do you think he's going to do that for now? Jared Goff. That's going to be a huge addition on a lot of different levels. And the Rams specifically looked at him. That was their 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 target for those uh, exact reasons. Now, you know, he's getting up there in age, so he has to maintain the level of play. But if he does, that, that's he's a like huge, a fine wine. He's actually been, yeah. the, his last few years have been Pro Bowl years later on in his career. He's gotten better. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, this is a huge acquisition. And all, I, Myson and I had talked about this, too. We really feel like if the Rams had been able to pull off the Groy thing, I mean... Not that John Sullivan is bad. It's just you hope, can that guy stay healthier on the field for 16 games? Well, we're about to find out. Um, but the Ryan yes. Roy thing, man, that would have been that would have been sweet for the Rams had that had that. Yeah, that was a little bit of that was a little bit of a blow. Um, but it tells you what kind of a player he is that Buffalo yeah. match. So uh, they were on the right track. They were, they were, and you can't you can't fault the Rams for trying. Ultimately, I think it ended up being better uh, that they that they had the picks. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll I mean we'll see. Uh, okay, so now staying with the draft, which player coming out of the draft is likeliest to have an impact the soonest? 
And which player is likelier to have the greatest overall impact? Wow, that's like next level question asking. I like it. Um, I'm going to say that... uh, you know, I, I think that I think that uh, a guy like Gerald Everett, um, I, I think he's going to find his way onto the field. Um, I think that he's in a in, in the right offense for him. Uh, I, he's going to play off of Tyler Higby, which you know, let's not sleep on Tyler Higby. I, I think he's you know, uh, if healthy, uh, and that hurt him last year were, were injuries. I think he's going to he, he's he's got the potential to have to make a, a nice little impact. But I think Gerald Everett, I was watching him um, this week and. He's every bit the athlete that he's advertised. I mean, he got off the field. The, the pass wasn't completed, but it was up the field, down the field, um, and he got up there in a hurry and and beat a beat whoever was defending him. By the time the ball got there, it was two guys that were on it, but he got up the field in a hurry. And they they utilized him a lot this week. He's he caught a lot of passes uh, in practice, and so you could see where they're going with that. Um, and I think that he's going to be a, a, a matchup uh, problem. Now, is he going to adapt to the NFL game and the terminology and the offense? You know, obviously that remains to be seen, but if he does, he's got a, he's got the capability of, of making an impact. Um, it's hard not to, to, to think that in the, well, I'll put it this way, long range. If, if Josh Reynolds, you know, gets his body right, you know, he's on the thin side right now, but he jumps out at you and you know, he got, he can go up and get it. Uh, he can run past guys. Um, he's got good hands. Uh, there's, there's a lot to like about a Josh Reynolds. Now he's got to put it together in all the other ways that, you know, rookie players have to, but over the long haul, I can see that I can see him, you know, uh, being, being a, a, a good player and a great value where he was picked. So, uh, those are the two I'm going to, I'm going to go with. That doesn't mean I don't like Cooper cup at all. I think he's going to, also have a have an impact, but I think Gerald Everett uh, could surprise some people this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this new look Rams offense functions with the tight ends. They're they're going to be a huge, huge, huge factor moving forward, which is going to be so pleasing to so many Rams fans and, and football <laughs> purists. And and you know what. I want to say this about Todd Gurley, and, and we'll close this up. Um, but, you know, the, the Rams are are doing their damnedest to get this guy every tool to succeed. I mean, they drafted a fullback. The reason they drafted a fullback is for Todd Gurley, you know, to help this guy succeed. If that's what it's going to take, if we need to put a fullback who can function like a running back, out there on the field to help him uh, 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 hit that next level and get going, and so be it. So I, I love all of the thought, the genuine thought that has gone into the draft, free agency, uh, and, and the likes by this staff. There's there's considered genuine thought for not just how to make the organization better, but how to make their star players better and and more reliable and to give them that comfort of, hey man, we're not necessarily here to replace you, we're here to help you succeed. And I think that that's just so key when you're establishing yourself as a new coach. And it's like you said, McVeigh has all the tools in the world to succeed, and it's because of 
I agree. I agree. And, Go ahead. And, and, and I think that is the, uh, you know, the, the, at least early on the, uh, the effect of a, of a, of a Sean McVay. And I, I describe him to people, uh, He's he's a uh, he's a young guy, but he's an old soul, and I know that you know that's that sounds like a cliche, but it's it's true. He has a he just has a sort of a way about him um, that, again, you know, we, we can't predict the future. We don't know he may be gone in three years. Who knows? Um, but if you're just going on first looks, and look, I've been you know I, I've been doing this a, a while. Uh, everyone from you know. Pat Riley to Pete Carroll to Phil Jackson uh, and on and on. There's been some pretty special coaches and managers and uh, that, that have come through Los Angeles. And there's certain guys that stand out. Um, we don't know what the future holds at all, but he fits in. He fits that profile right there. Um, and so I think that he's got a fighting chance to be something pretty special. And the Rams may have landed on. Uh, on, on 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 a good one, um, and you are seeing that effect. You're seeing you're just seeing it. It doesn't mean that they're going to go out and make the playoffs this year. I think they're next year. I think they're going to be, you know, fortunate to win seven or eight games. To me, that would be a step in the right direction for them. But I think long range, there's a chance here for this guy to 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 make his mark. And uh, I'm I'm interested and fascinated uh, to see how that all plays out. That's a perfect way to end it. All right. One of the things that we like to do with all of our guests before we let them go is to talk about anything that they have upcoming or working on or have just dropped that they want to draw attention to. Also, if you have any causes or events upcoming that you'd like to promote, basically the floor is yours. This is your time. Ooh, and don't forget to tell people where they can find you on social media as well. Well, I'm, uh, at Daily News Vinny is how you can uh, hit me up on on Twitter. I am working on a on a Jared Goff, um, you know, story just about you know uh, where he is right now, um, going into his second year, and and you know, I in talking to him, I asked him, you know, if he was following along uh, as they were making all the moves last year. He's like, of course, you know, absolutely, it was, and and I think it was a. It was a pleasing offseason for him in a lot of different ways. I think he's going to respond a little bit better to this coaching staff than, uh, you know, not to take anything away from from uh, Fisher and his staff. But uh, so I'm working on that story. Um, I do plan an Andrew Whitworth story that should be coming out hopefully uh, next week. Um, you know, you can catch me on uh, AM 570 during the season. We'll be back for the Eric Dickerson show uh, on Mondays uh, next year. It was kind of a... Uh, a a rough year last year uh, on that show uh, talking about, unfortunately, a bad football team week after week after week. Uh, I think everyone's hoping that at the very least, it's going to be a more entertaining team to talk about. It might not be a, a winning team, but at least a little bit more of an entertaining team. So you can catch me there on AM 570 in Los Angeles as well. And I can't thank you enough for your time. I know that, uh, you know, you're one of the more plugged-in local guys. It's been a long time coming. I'm, I'm certainly glad that we had the chance to have you on this show. And, and uh, when Psych Guy tweeted out um, halfway through the show, you absolutely killed your performance on here, man. I, I genuinely yeah. had this thing uh, recorded and posted um, 
it's it's rare that we get to tell a guest that they killed it on the show, but just, I mean, there's so much information to give out, man. I, I definitely hope that on our end, we acquitted ourselves well and that you would want to come back on. Um, I, I hope that we were professional, fun, and entertaining. Absolutely. You guys got the phone number and the, the Twitter handle, and now I guess the Skype handle as well, so... Whatever you got to do, we're in there. Hit me up. Yeah, hit me up. Hit me up, and uh, and I'll be glad to come back on. All right. So thank you very right. much, Vinny Bonsignor, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great night, Su- guys. Southern Appreciate California it. News Group. Thank you so much. You got it, guys. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, mice and last sauce before we get out of here, man. I didn't catch it. Sit again. I said, Myson, what are your last thoughts before we get out of here? You know, I, I, I really enjoyed um, just some of the content, the detail that he talked about. And it's, 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 it's always nice to get someone who who's there asking the player the exact questions that you read, um, that you read about. You know, when you hear the yeah. responses to the to the questions, um, having it come straight from the source's mouth, the person who asked the question. Uh, that's always nice because you you kind of get a different you kind of get a different feeling kind of a different. It's nice read. too when they're asking the questions that you want to ask. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, so definitely, um, definitely with some really good content and uh, the, just the for example, the talking about how when Jared Goff was answering the question as to how he's picking things up and he really went into detail, you know. And, you know, as he said, it was immediately like a, a light went off in his head. It was just like, oh, wow, because you hear his answer and it, you automatically start comparing and contrasting and looking at different things and viewing the, the coaching staff. So, you you know, it almost brings a little excitement because you can kind of see the the differences in the uh, coaching staffs. So and it all stemmed and it all stems from that little bit of information stems from that one question. So, you know, you can never you can never overlook the, the job that the media does with um, when they're when the reporters are asking these guys these questions and you know being able to ask the right questions to get this type of information is is priceless. Yeah, and, and you know it's great to know that the players that you're most curious about, you know, your Josh Reynolds, your Andrew Whitworths, he's got some pieces coming with, with them and. I, I agree, and, you know, the smart money is on Andrew Whitworth having the, uh, the most impactful season, but, I, you know, being in a quarterback's ear, you would expect that of, of, of a premier left tackle, no less, but it's nice to do that, to have that confirmation that that's the type of player Whitworth is. He's not going to let Goff rest. If Goff makes a mistake, he's going to be held to account. He's not going to get a free pass, and Andrew Whitworth doesn't give a damn if he's been on the team for one day or one year. He's going to let Goff know what time it is at all times. And that's what you want out of a left tackle. That's what you want along that line. That's the tone that you want set. We are going to be good and it starts with me. And as yeah, long as every player says that to themselves, the Rams ought to at least be, as Vinny said, 
entertaining. And that's what you want. You know, you want that that accountability because that's really where it all begins. And that's how you get the that's how you get guys to buy into you. You know, that's uh, I was watching the um, the NFL top 100 and Andrew Luck came in at number 51 and they had a former lineman um, on there uh, from the Colts. And he said his favorite part about Andrew Luck is no matter how bad you might mess up, he said, I could completely miss a block and give up pressure or a sack. And Andrew Luck will take the sack and get up. And the first thing he says is, and then before he could even say what Andrew Luck says, they pull up a clip with that exact where Andrew Luck looks at him in the face, slaps him in the chest, say, hey, that's my fault. You know, he took blame for this guy missing his block and getting Andrew Luck sacked. You know, but Andrew Luck looked at it as, I should have picked up on this or I should have I should have got rid of the ball you know he looked at it as I could have done something better that's what make guys want to play for you more you know when you have their back you take that accountability you you know you step up and you be that leader so it's good to hear him be you know to start to develop in that role because that's that's what's going to get those guys to buy to him yeah it's 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 the we not me thing is all about accountability and that's the line that Sean McVay is telling every member of this team that they have to toe. Accountability starts with yourself. If you can't be accountable for yourself and to yourself, then you certainly can't be accountable to a team and you don't deserve a spot or a position, (laughs) excuse me, a spot on the roster that's the minimum that is going to be asked of you. And I don't really think that that's a lot to ask. It's not like accountability was a problem before, but there were way too many stupid penalties, way too many drive-killing mistakes, way too many times when things that should have been second and five or second and three became first and 15 or first and 20. It's, it's just the little damn things that kill every drive, that harm every drive, that, 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 as you say, start with accountability. Do your damn job. Don't jump offside. Yeah. Don't grab that guy around the collar. If he gets past you, then let him pass you. If you got beat, you got beat, man. Dragging him to the ground isn't going to do your team any good. Obviously, you don't want him lighting off and getting a free shot at your quarterback, but stupid penalties are just, you know, protect your quarterback at all costs. But at the same time, you you just, there's no reason, and and I know this is going to happen, because I said it would, but there are going to be false starts. Um, but those are the types of things, you know, just, just be accountable to yourself, know your job and execute it, execute it well, trust the man next to you and let him know that he can trust you. And that's why I think these fearless rookies are going to be able to come in and have an impact because they're not worried about that. All they're worried about is coming in and doing a job. The, the quarterback there isn't any older than they are. In some cases, the quarter Jared Goff may be younger than some of these guys that got drafted. 
You know, I, I, for them, guys like Cooper Cup, it's just an opportunity to go in there and show the world what you can do. No reason to yeah. be afraid. It's not like the guy mixed. It's not like the Rams had a receiving core that was so damn good. You have no chance of breaking into it. This isn't the Juventus back line. You know? You have all the chance yeah. in the world. No, I agree. And that's that's the that's kind of the glory of it. You know, that's the beauty part is that you exactly like you put it, you have every chance in the world. And when you when you when you throw those guys out there, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a first round pick or you're a uh, undrafted rookie free agent. When you put these guys out here in OTAs, you know, they're just out there trying to prove themselves. (laughs) Everyone is moving at a thousand miles an hour trying to show how good they really are, that they deserve to be here. You know, maybe not the vets who's, you know, settled in. They realize OTAs isn't the place for that. You know, they get what OTAs are for. But when you're young and this is your opportunity, you don't see that. You just see that this is this is your opportunity. (laughs) That's the only thing you see. And I think that's that's the beauty of it, because like you said, they're young and it doesn't really matter how old Jared Goff is, you know, they're just out there to try to prove themselves. And if they see this guy out there, regardless of if you're Cooper Cup, who's older, or you're uh, a Simpson Ibukum, who's younger, you're out there and you're seeing this guy trying to lead and you're a guy that's just trying to prove yourself. You see another young guy trying to lead, you're probably going to start taking on that role of let me stay later as well or let me try to do it this way as well you know so it really is contagious especially when you bring in new faces because then it gives them something else to add to add to their repertoire to to make themselves uh, worthy to stick around yeah and with that man i think we've covered a copious amount of material i think it's a perfect time to wrap things up and to get the hell on with our evenings uh mycin what do you have coming up tell people tell me i want to know so i have finished my uh bit of scouting over some of these new faces that were brought in uh, names that didn't get really get covered before. So uh, this week I'll actually start posting the, uh, the reports that I have on um, the Tedrick Smiths and the, T- the, the Lenard Tillery's the uh, guys like that um, kind of covering them. And they're, 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 as we lead into some of our staff as a whole, uh, roster previews for just uh, the player by players, so that just kind of that'll just kind of lead into that. So, and then also just a few um, interesting pieces, as, like uh, certain little facts, like some little known facts about the Rams' season heading uh, of 2016 season, and what how those little known facts might be able to play a role into improving or maybe not so much uh, the 2017 team. So, maybe uh, a couple of couple of different things will be coming up here over the next week. Well, it has been a pleasure once again to bring you Turf Show Radio. It's always a pleasure to have on our guest. We want to thank Vinny Bonsignor. You can follow him on Twitter at Daily News Vinny if you're not doing so or already. Get on it. Uh, you can follow Mycin on Twitter at Mighty or Mycin. That's M I S O N E. Mycin. And you can follow our producer on Twitter at Sports Speaks. That's Scott Johnston. Um, I'd give him a follow, ladies and gentlemen. He is an entertaining individual and always down to talk about sports. 
always. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FightOnTwist. And we will be back next week with an all-new episode of Turf Showtime's radio. Uh, we know not yet who our guests will be, but I am sure it likely will be at least, hopefully, as good as this week's episode is uh, or was. Uh, so with that, thank you very much. And, oh, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you. Uh, please follow the site at Turf Showtime. Uh, and check everything out at TurfShowTimes.com, SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles brand. And you know what? My podcast, my platform. Um, I want to send out a very heartfelt and uh, sincere set of condolences to the folks in Manchester um, after the horrific bombing that claimed the lives of over 20 people at an Ariana Grande concert. Um, I am a Mancunian at heart. Uh, I have a number of friends in Manchester being a city guy and, and, and uh, you know, covering city to the extent that I do with my podcast every single week. Uh, a number of friends who are there in Manchester uh, who were affected by this and uh, it just plain sucks. So my heart goes out to them, and uh, hope that this kind of stuff stops. Um, though it just seems to be the way of the world anymore, which is sad. Um, but uh, again, like I said, my podcast, my chance to, to just say, you know, uh, the, the folks of Manchester, we are with you, man. At least I am. And, uh, I am doing my part to raise funds for the victims, uh, which if you wish to donate, you can get at me and I will tell you where you can go. We have partnered with a local journalist in Manchester, a very trusted one, to ensure that 100% of the proceeds go to the victims of the bombing. Not a single cent <clears throat> other than the cut that is taken by the fundraising site. Not a single cent will go to myself or anyone else, this is all for the victims, and it is my pleasure, our pleasure to do so. Um, it's the least we do uh, in a situation like this. Uh, and in my opinion, acts like these, acts of pure vitriolic hate, need to be responded to with nothing but unending love. Um, and this is just my way of sending love to Manchester. So, if you truly want to donate even $5, get at me. I will give you the link to our fundraising efforts. And again, 100% of the, the dollars that we uh, get will be going to the victims. So uh, on that note, uh, Myson, any last words? No, I think we, we covered it all for the night, all man. Right. It's, uh, it's been good. Yep. All right. Well, uh, with that, we will catch you here next time on Turf Show Radio on SB Nation's home to the Los Angeles Rams, Turf Show Times. Thanks a lot, folks. We're out.
My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.